right, what do you want to talk about first? Oh, let's go, uh, let's go black-tailed deer. How's your, uh, it's uh, the 23rd of August now, so we are three weeks into the season. How's, uh, how'd yours shape up? Uh, well, I had August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, I was working, but that kind of worked out because it was foggy, rainy, and gross up here, so I avoided the bad weather, and then my weekend was the fourth, fifth, and sixth. And I kind of had to play weather weird. It was because it had been so hot and dry in July. I was, I had anticipated having to hike a big tall mountain that had some rock and some snow on it. Um, and maybe camp overnight, but then that the weather on the 31st, first, and I, I guess it really rolled in on the first, it just clouded up and socked in that kind of changed things. Cause I figured that maybe deer would kind of come back out into the open or move back into the bigger Alpine areas. And then, uh, yeah, just, I kind of changed up, called an audible and decided to go up the morning of a, a smaller mountain. And then it got hot and sunny <laughs> right away on the, the fourth too. So I, uh, my game plan didn't quite work out. I thought there would be more deer out and about because I, I didn't think it was going to get as hot and sunny as it did. And we did. We only saw one buck, which we were able to get. But um, the as soon as we shot that deer at, I want to say, 6.15 in the morning, by the time we took a couple pictures and uh, gutted it and slid it over into the shade, we hiked around a little bit more and we never saw another deer on the entire mountain. Yeah. Yeah. That's happened a couple of times where it's, it's so hot that you're excited that you don't have to deal with the rain, but you know that that window in the morning is going to be very, very short. And I think that happened last year when I went out with my wife, I went on the caribou hunt uh, to start off. And so I didn't start hunting uh, deer down here until the 10th or something like that when I got back, but it was so hot that as soon as the sun starts to come up, like it's over. Like they're already headed back into, into the, into the brush to, and it's, it's so hard to, if you can get the weather window or a catch the weather break, it's that first day after it's raining when they're out and it pops or the first time it's kind of cool, but man, it's too much sun can be a good thing. Like too much rain is annoying, but also too much sun and too much heat. Yeah. And at least on those rainy kind of foggy days, deer will be moving throughout the day. So you know, maybe the visibility is not very good for a while, but you can kind of sit and wait it out maybe and some clouds roll through and you get openings of visibility and maybe see, see a deer. But when it's hot and sunny, as soon as it's over, it's over. Yeah. What, what do you do during those? Uh, actually, I'll ask you about both. What do you do during those sunny days? And what do you do during the foggy days? Do you sit and wait or do you move? Well, so the sunny days... I, you know, ideally for, if I knew, if I know it's going to be sunny and hot, what I'll do is I'll pick a mountain that has got some rocky, like North facing aspect stuff that the deer might be hanging out on all day. Cause they, you know, that is, it's cooler. There's a breeze. They can get away from the bugs and then I can catch them out in that open spot in a longer window of time. So I'll be able to have, have it's a bigger mountain but I'll be able to hike it in the afternoon, get up high, drop camp stuff, and then do a little hunting in the evening, maybe either catch one up high or then 
you know, be in the Alpine right at 4 a.m. or whenever the sun ends up coming up and be able to hunt that little window. Uh, I gambled on that. And I didn't do that this time because I thought that that fog and rain was going to hang on a little more. But yeah, the, the hot sunny days, I try to hunt a really big mountain uh, and avoid kind of the, sh- the shorter, maybe more lower alpine that has timber mixed in with it just because it seems like they can just they'll just filter right off the tops and they'll be gone yeah immediately i I shot my first four point on just like you were saying it it was a rocky shoot that was north facing and it was about noon like high noon on a day that was in the 70s but just like you said it was it was cooler it was a big mountain so there was a lot of space but all i did was just drop down into the chute and the temptation when it's when it's sunny out is you can see so much you just want to keep going down the ridge, keep going, keep going, keep going. You can weigh yourself out by the time the evening comes, and sometimes that evening can be really good because if it does start to cool, it's not really the last I don't know hour and a half, two hours. It's it could be like the last fifteen or, or thirty minutes. Um, but yeah, it can be hard on those sunny days to not to be to not give into the temptation, just keep moving because you can see everything, kind of be patient, glass it really well, and look for those shoots and look for those things. Um, if snow patches are, are, are great for deer too. Yeah, I could, um, the week before the season opened, I climbed a mountain and just scouted around, and it was a really hot, sunny day, and I was looking from my mountain across down to another mountain, and in the snow patches, I could see deer laying in the snow patches midday. So that's, you know, that's where they're staying. That's where they're cool. And you just got to know there's a, there's a good thermal breeze going up the hillside there, keeping them out of the bugs. Yeah. So what about on those foggy days? Some people say stay put. It's not worth it uh, going in the fog because if you're walking around, you might be bumping something. Like you said, they're, they're moving around a lot more. They feel like they might be. Obviously, it's nice and cool, uh, but they might be uh, moving under the protection of the fog. So are you a stay put, wait for windows, or do you uh, move a little bit? Do you regulate your movement? How do you handle fog? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's I think for me, because I, I really hunt a couple mountains a lot and know them really well, I will do stuff that I wouldn't recommend <laughs> on other mountains <laughs> <laughs> to rent, you know, I, I know exactly where the, some of the deer trails are. And so I would maybe sit on a spot and wait and wait and wait. But if I was just on a random mountain and I didn't know where the deer were going to be, I would probably move more than sit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have a couple of other areas that I like to hunt in that are kind of lower elevation and maybe might be below the fog and just try to change my location to avoid that bad visibility yeah so there's a couple couple like low bowls and slides where you can you know the deer will traverse back and forth across those areas and you can basically be in that little area and see across but hopefully not be up high enough where you're in the fog or in the clouds yeah yeah that can be a really dangerous thing for people who don't know um southeast alaska terrain or even if you are a local like i've been up on mountains that i know and know pretty well, but the fog gets so thick or soupy. And like, well, I'm just going to look over here real quick. And all of a sudden you're, you know, 45 degrees off and like, Whoa, wait a second, wait a second here. Where exactly am I? And that's how you can get in trouble. You, you go off the, the wrong side or something. So, um, it's really good to know the mountain 
yeah. but even then just kind of understand and know and and your GPS, you can be looking at that. You can be looking at your on X and that can be off too, because of the density of the fog. So it doesn't take a lot to all of a sudden get disoriented. And so at that point in time, it's, it's good to kind of cut the losses and think, all right, well, I, I need to just hunker down here till I see something and not make this uh, situation worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I've, uh, if there's bad visibility or if I'm going to come back through a place in the dark or Anything, anytime that I'm in an area where I'm not familiar with, I leave a little track line on my um, phone or whatever little app I'm using and will use that, you know, as a safety net to be able to navigate back to exactly where I've been. Mm-hmm. And I know if I've come this way, it's safe to go. I'm not going to get cliffed out. I'm not going to get stuck or I'm not going to go down something that's too steep and potentially dangerous. Yeah. So. How does your uh, pack vary from, uh, you look at the weather, next couple of days going to be sunny, should be hot, maybe foggy, versus uh, it's going to be rainy. What? Uh, how does that impact your packing? I, well, I think we talked about this the last time. I basically run the same thing, rain or shine, and it's just a, a, a shell layer. Like the, I wear Kuyu, Chugach, NX, just a shell, and maybe leggings or shorts underneath. And if it's going to be rainy and cold, maybe I'll just, you know, not bring shorts, but just wear a a little thicker pair of leggings. And when it's hot and sunny, I just vent them and let them go wide open. And they're basically shorts at that point. Uh, And then if it's going to be wet and rainy, clam them up and, um, you know, keep the, keep the gaiters on the whole time too. Do you, um, you have a tarp? No, I don't. So I, I've, I have used one before. My buddy Nathan that I've hunted with in Juneau, he lives in Juneau and he's come over here to hunt and I've hunted with him there and we've hunted a few other places in the state together, but he's got a nice little tarp that he's brought along on a few different places. And it, that's pretty handy for what, if it's going to be a long extended, like sit and stay for sure. But for, for what I've done, we just either get up, hope the clouds burn off real quick and if they don't do a quick lap and then head back down i don't i don't i haven't really stayed up in the top like all day when it's been bad weather yeah it's been tough i try to time it and some of the people that come up and do the seven to ten dayers you know you're kind of stuck with the weather and that's all that you can do but you know a lot of the hunts that we do down here are you know a day or two you check the weather it's the weekend or you know whatever time that you have a lot of times it's 24 to 36 hours. You just take what, uh, what you can get. Sometimes if it's good, the weather is going to be marginal, you just plan on being wet the entire time. Just going to keep moving. I'm going to be wet. Hopefully I get a shot and that's it. And if I don't coming back down the mountain. So it's just a continual, you know, miserable soaking wet type thing. Maybe you stop and, uh, we had to um, set up the tarp and boiled some water to get warm just cause it was so, um, thick and soupy down here on the opener, but, um, shoot, that's just kind of what you're, what you plan on down here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I've usually built in enough days into August off where I can, you know, I had a couple of days off and it was just stormy and rained like four inches. And it's like, well, I'm not going hunting today. I've got other things I can do, but like in November I've had friends come and 
you know, they're here for four days. We're going to hunt all four days. If it's bad weather, we're just going to wait her up or wear full Grendons and just deal with it. And on those days I do bring, you know, a full change of clothes basically in a dry bag in my backpack. And if I get actually wet, wet or I'm cold, you know, stop completely change into dry stuff and start, you know, restart. And at that point you're kind of coming home anyway. Yeah. Um, but at least you'll be comfortable for the way back and not, not be getting colder and colder and wetter and wetter. Yeah. There's, there's a, that understanding that, you know, you're on borrowed time that happens during rut and even during August and, and Alpine when you're soaked and maybe this is, you, you've soaked the extra clothing that you brought and it's just, it's either going to happen or it's not, but it's got to happen uh, either way pretty quick because, there's there's no longevity to this hunt. It's nearing its end <laughs> because of the weather. Yeah. Yeah, I think knowing when to pull the plug is a a good, you know, a good sign of maturity too as a hunter. Just know when it's not worth pushing it. Yeah, I think especially in the world now people want to advocate or they want to tell the world how they kept hammering or how they were, you know, ignored their it, Rogan talks about his inner bitch or whatever, you know, and I think there's definitely something to be said for being smart and preserving because ultimately the number one goal is to come home safe. Sometimes that, and I fight this a lot because I'm, I'm pretty conservative. I'm not a huge risk taker. Um, mm. So I, I kind of battle with that. Okay. Am I just wussing out? Am I, am I, am I listening to that voice that that's making me a little bit more timid or am I being smart? Cause sometimes I can convince myself that this easier route, this different mountain, this whatever is the right choice when really that could just be the easier choice. And so I kind of have that conflict in my brain and think, is this just me looking for an easy way out? And I think, no, this actually is smarter to not hike up to this. This happened to me the last time I was out rather than go all the way across the ridge to where I'd seen a buck before. Um, I didn't go as high on the solo hunt as I had on the opener, uh, with my buddy Danny and, and my wife, because the habitat where we camped was really, really good. And I thought, Hey, we may have camped in their kitchen we may have camped a little bit too close. So yeah. if I don't hike all the way to that spot, to that saddle, if I stay back a little bit, I might see something that's going to be right in that area. And then I thought, okay, is this just because you don't want to carry camp on the solo hunt very far? I mean, is this, is this, is this a bad <laughs> thing? Actually, am I, am I convincing myself um, that, that less work is actually better. It ended up being the right call because right in the evening came out and I started seeing does, started seeing does. And I looked over and maybe 20 yards up from where we'd camped in the timber in the saddle was this nice buck that was feeding. And I thought, man, this is perfect. I blew the shot because I, I had dropped my rifle on its scope on the road before I left. And I thought, oh man, but scopes are a lot more resilient right? You, you take it through yeah. a brush, you, you drop it. Scopes are really resilient. So I took the to uh, the, the shot from, I think it was 270, uh, missed horribly. And I thought, Ooh, maybe it was the rest shot again, missed uh clean misses yeah. went over there, found it. And then I, I went to the range afterwards and I was a good 12 inches off at a uh, hundred yards. Yeah. Um, so I felt good that I had actually, the plan was good. It was just, uh, the rifle scope was off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, he, you, you battle that temptation to how can I get a bargain buck? It'd be nice to have a bargain buck. If I don't have to work real hard and still get the result, that'd be awesome. But most of the time it's good to responsibly push instead. 
After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/waypoint. Yeah, we uh, I went up another mountain on the 18th in the afternoon and climbed a pretty pretty significant hike up and it took about three hours to, to clear the, the timber and get into the alpine. And right when we got up, there was a nice two-point standing right there, maybe 180 yards. And I was like, ooh, that's in the right spot at the right time. Or it's at the right spot anyways, but the timing was getting. So by the time, if we would have shot that buck there, by the time we got over to it, gutted it, boned it out, hung it up, it would be dark. And I knew that there's, I, I know that little area, there's no flat spots, no camping spots and no water in that whole area. And I know that, you know, 30 minutes down this little hill there, you know, along this ridge and down into a little gully, there's a perfectly flat spot and a nice little pond and like, you know, the, the ideal camping spot is like, we can't shoot that deer. It's like, <laughs> nope <laughs> not right now maybe maybe tomorrow on the way out but not right now yeah but it ended up being a good call too because you know a little bit further away there was a lot easier deer to deal with yeah that's always the temptation you go up there and you're so excited and there's one that's it's like a marginal buck and you're not a trophy hunter but there could be different opportunities different situations maybe you get an awesome body deer with bigger antlers in a better spot, you know, so it's, it can pay off to be patient, but yeah, that's, that's, that always happens too. Yeah. So that, that next morning, this plays right into that too, is the next morning we got up and went further down the ridge and first thing in the morning, I could see four mature bucks, three of which were really nice bucks. And okay, I know where that one's at. I know where that one's at. We know where he's at. We're going to lose sight of him while we dip down and we'll come right up and then we'll be closer. Then we can re get, you know, see where they've repositioned. And we got up there, saw two of the nice ones, got a little closer. And then it was the small two point was standing there looking right at us. Like, 
like a, basically a, a wide forky with little eye guards. And I was like, well, just shoot that one. <laughs> it's right. It's right here. It's close. It's standing still that if we go any closer, that one that's standing right there is going to bust everything else. And we might not get a shot at anything. And, uh, so the, the, uh, my hunting partner, she, she shot it and dropped it right away. And I just peeked over the next corner and sure enough that the big two point was right there and he was oblivious and feeding. But if we would have pushed it and tried to go further, the the smaller buck was probably going to blow that whole area out as he, if he ran away through there. So I, you know, I kind of made, I want to feel like I made the right call. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe he just got lucky or, or whatever, but it all worked out. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yep. So, uh, why don't you, uh, tell us a little bit about your upcoming hunt. You're taking a pause from, uh, from deer. Tell me about the upcoming hunt you got. Yeah, I've, I blocked off a big chunk of time. Um, and I'm going to do two six day sheep hunts back to back, um, up in the interior. So, taking the ferry out of here tomorrow and to hop in the next ferry on Friday up to Haynes and, and start driving after that. And, uh, my buddy Nathan's going to go with me on those. He, he went with me to Edelin Island and we did a bow hunt for moose last year in Fairbanks. And he's kind of been my big hunt, uh, hunting partner lately. So we're going to go take a, take a shot at sheep. So it's two six day hunts is one for you, one for him, or what's the, how does that break down? Um, yeah, I don't know. We're going <laughs> to, we'll have to figure that out on the drive up. I, I mean, the, I've been following a lot of the sheep management report stuff and, you know, looking at sheep numbers and harvest numbers and talking to some guides and people that I know that have that sheep hunt and they've, all been saying the same sad story of less and less and less sheep. So this, you know, I don't want to say, Oh, well, we'll just get two sheep and call good. Or yeah. like Nathan can get his sheep first and then I'll get a sheep or whatever. But I, I think we're going to be lucky if we see a few Rams and maybe hopefully one of them will be legal. And I don't know, we might, we might play rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Yeah, that's, um, I, I, I was, I don't want to say indifferent to sheep, but in the last few years, my interest in them has grown so much and not like as a trophy animal sort of thing, or that my hunting resume wouldn't be complete without it, but just that the terrain has gotten into me. And after going up North to, to do some caribou hunting, just getting into those shale mountains, it's so different than down here, down here, you have some monolithic cliffs and you have vegetation, but just that terrain is so, so appealing and so desolate and so extreme that an opportunity to have uh, a hunt up there is so uh, appealing, for lack of a better word. It's it's so appealing. Um, so I've been reading a lot more about it and following those numbers a lot more. I think sometimes people can get caught up in their region, and I was really caught up in what I could do here in southeast Alaska, and there's a lot of opportunities. And I mean, plenty of opportunities to keep you busy. And there are people who, you know, have hunted Southeast Alaska and they've never hunted anywhere else because you got black bear and you got brown bear and you got mountain goat and you got deer. And that's enough to satisfy someone for an entire lifetime. But if you do start getting curious about what what there is up north, then, 
man, there's a lot of material out there. And all of a sudden you're, you, you just have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it is a challenge for Southeast, uh, people from Southeast Alaska to go do kind of more DIY sheep hunts. If you got to deal with travel and travel logistics, like for me, I'm, I'm not even going that far and, you know, relatively speaking, but it's going to be basically five complete days of travel by the time I leave Huna to the time where I start walking or, you know, and back. So Mm -hmm. two and a half days up, two and a half days back. So I've got to budget at least five days of travel time into my hunt window just to be able to start hiking. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. There's a huge cost. If you're, if you're down South, you're a Wyoming resident and you want to go hunt elk in Colorado, you can, you know, fuel up the truck and you can drive down there for an extended weekend or for seven days or something like that. But up here, even in Southeast Alaska, it's expensive to get to Fairbanks. It's probably more expensive for us to get to Fairbanks than it is from someone who lives like in an airline hub where you can just go, you know, maybe out of Seattle or, you know, where they have a big airline and and you're at a hub. It's expensive to get up there. So the costs are not all that different. As far as the travel goes, obviously it's, you know, what, $15,000 for a guy to do, to do sheep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cost prohibitive a lot of times for just the ordinary Alaska resident to do a lot of these hunts that people who are professional hunters or who are pretty wealthy, who have been saving for a long time. Um, it's, it's a little easier, I guess, for, for them. Yeah. I, my my round trip travel costs is going to be over 2000 bucks. So that's, it's, it's not cheap, No, but it's it does have that draw that is amazing amazing scenery and a totally different ecosystem up there Mm -hmm. so where did you have you done your research primarily with uh like calling biologists calling guides people have you you know gone to forums books like what's been kind of the good way to get the information and, and make you feel good about your plan um i have read the management reports where they go through their sheep surveys and aerial surveys for sheep um, throughout the years. So I've read all every piece of literature that's been published by the state that's available. And then I've talked to some people that have hunted the area in the past. And I've talked to um, a, a guide that's hunted kind of an adjacent area and and that's about it though. I don't, I, you know, it's, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, mm. um, with sheep, you know, no matter where it's coming from, I think. Um, but I would assume that the, the management reports, the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. Um, and, but the problem with that is that they are not, uh, every year. So they don't, you know, there's some gaps in time, but I'm kind of looking at long-term averages yeah. and just, you know, the, the hunt that I did in 2020, I just threw a pin on the map and just went there. <laughs> and I, I, I tried, I tried looking it up. I tried researching it. I tried talking to some people and nobody knew anything about that or they weren't willing to tell me. Right. And it worked out. I mean, we got really close to sheep and we found sheep in the places I thought there were sheep. They're just, they weren't quite legal, mm-hmm. but, um, and I knew that the area that I was going into at that time was just a very low density sheep area. Um, 
this area that I'm going into has a much higher sheep density, but also has a, a kind of a smaller average size, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. So <clears throat> yeah, it'll sheep, be, might sheep, be tough. Sheep hunting is, is super unique in a couple things. If you get a tag for, let's say a caribou, you know, you can, you can I guess, settle, I guess you could be in, in an area that has trophy quality or trophy potential, but you can settle for a lesser bull as long as it's a bull, but having the full curl requirement, you know, that that's going to be, that's serious. You had, it has to be that big. You have to scrutinize and make sure it's that big. There's no, well, I settled for a three quarter curl just because, you know, I'm not a trophy hunter and it was there. There is no settling. It has to be legal requirement it has to be, a, a, obviously it can be, you know, bigger, um, you know, the, 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 it can score, score much better. Um, but then also there's the, the scarcity that's starting to, to kind of happen. And it's not as easy as Southeast Alaska, where you just pick a mountain and it's going to more than likely be bucks up there and probably a nice buck depending on where it is you might go to a range and you're not seeing much or um i know tyler freel and and um um, frank were talking about they went to a place where um the estimated numbers you know were very very low if not non-existent but they just knew and trusted that there'd be sheep there and they both got cheap i don't know if that was this year but um you know a couple years ago that happened so that faith in sheep being there, um, and then needing it to be legal size. And then uh, just, there's a whole set of complications that are unique to sheep hunting that are kind of exciting, but also kind of, kind of stressful. I think you can second guess yourself a lot in sheep hunting in ways that you might not be able to second guess yourself in other hunts. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely can be stressful. I've been fortunate to go on um, well, the, I've just been on a couple sheep hunts before, but I went on one sheep hunt, uh, with my uncle in 2015, 14 or 15. And immediately we saw a band of rams and there was one in there. And from a long ways away, I just, I'd never seen a doll sheep ram before. And I was like, that is a legal full curl ram. No doubt about it. And you pull up the scope on it and oh yeah. Okay. So <laughs> if you see an absolute whopper, then I, you know, that's great. Yeah. But man, there's, so I got a, I have had good looks at big Ram. So I at least know what that looks like, but man, those marginal Rams are real close to it. Just the way that they're turning sometimes, mm-hmm. even a, if you get the perfect look that will tell you, but you know, not having that experience, uh, I'm going to have to definitely wait for that perfect look at, at most of the sheep, I think. Yeah. Is it kind of an odd comfort knowing that it's out of your hands when it comes to that, because you can't shoot a sub legal Ram. And if it's marginal, like, no, I, I can't shoot that. I'm not gonna, I'm not even tempted because it's not. And so it takes the decision out of your hands. Is there some weird comfort in that? Um, uh, maybe, I mean, <laughs> in, in, in 2020, when I was in the Brooks, we got really close to, uh, several rams and each one was clearly not full curl on one horn but the the other horn did come up super close to full curl and i just wasn't getting that look wasn't getting that look we had to just get closer 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 spend more time with them and finally at like 50 yards i got the looks that i needed and then 
it was not full curl. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did have a good, you know, sigh of relief, like, okay, whew, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's... did <laughs> every, everything of the hunt worked out perfect. I did everything I could. It just was the sheep was just wasn't big enough. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know, maybe it's comforting, but, um, at the time I was a little, I was a little bummed, but, yeah. um, it seems like you wouldn't be able to be haunted in the same way. If you pass on a marginal caribou on day one or like a, a legal moose, but it's not mega and you pass yeah. and then you don't end up shooting anything. You think, gosh, dang it. I came all this way. I should have shot that bull on day one, or I should have, you know, I shouldn't have had standards or, or whatever it is. You know, I should have shot that really nice three point with eye guards that I saw, but I was holding out for a bigger one. If it's not legal, it's not legal. Yeah. I chose the mountain. I went up there, nothing legal. Gave her hell. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's and not knowing where we're going necessarily. I mean, I kind of know where we're going, but uh, the only way to, to get around that, like, is to be in really good shape, be able to cover ground and give yourself time to learn the area and see a lot of the area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can't, I can't, there's guys that, you know, do sheep hunts on a weekend and are successful routinely, but mm-hmm. they, they know where they're going. They know what they're doing. They know the program. Yeah. So the only way I've, the only way I can get around it is time. Yeah. So how is you that know. program going to, to change? You know, we've talked about this Alaska deer and there's a lot of texture here and you can hide behind some of these folds and you can make stocks and the deer can be out feeding and then they go down in the timber. Sometimes you can find them in, in brush and in those, those shoots. Whereas it seems like sheep are high in their uh, safe bedding areas and kind of come out during the day to feed, but you're a lot more exposed. Stocks can be a lot more difficult. So how do the programs that you have run a lot in Southeast, how do they prepare you for a sheep hunt? And then how also is it going to be different? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think being much more patient for sheep is, is the way to go than for a deer. Cause here you can kind of push it. They're not as wary. They're not as, um, you know, spooky. There's lots of other stuff moving around them usually. So they don't, you know, they might not even care if you're just walking around at 300 yards. Um, they'll might see you, but they won't be, you know, running over the, the hillside. <clears throat> but for sheep, I think patience is, is going to be key. And yeah, patience. And then the, the difference in the sheep hunt then would probably be uh, like some sort of like whites, like Tyvek whites. I've heard mm-hmm. those are kind of uh, could be helpful. So we're going to hopefully maybe we'll bring a pair or two of those with us too. Um, mm-hmm. If, if for some reason we're just stuck, stuck and we can't approach or we can't exit an area that might, you know, save us. Mm-hmm. What about um, like camping spots, wind and water? One of the things I, I've never been on a sheep hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've hiked around uh, in, in the Alaska range and we've, we've looked at some sheep when we were, were up there, but never been on a sheep hunt. Um, so I start thinking about, man, where's the flat spot where I could 
have camp. Um, everyone talks about or, or sheep camp, having your tent blow up seems to be an, <laughs> an often occurrence and also not having those nice little um, high ponds where you can get water. So how does, uh, how does wind, how does camping spot and how does water play in? Yeah, the area that I'm anticipating hiking into is doesn't have uh, very much, it has a, maybe a little glacier input. So th there might be a little water, but I'm not going to count on that. So I've got my three liter uh, camelback kind of, or whatever is a platypus, you know, with a little hose mm -hmm. tube. And then I've got two, two liter jugs and a single liter water bottle. So if I need to, we can, we can go descend or find water somewhere and just pack a lot of water with us for, you know, a couple of days and then camping. I've, you know, looked on Google maps and Google earth and just kind of try to find a, what looks like might be a little flat spot or a valley and we've got individual shelters. So we don't need a big flat open spot to set up a big tent. We can, mm -hmm. we can eat individually just carve out or maybe even kick out a small spot to sleep in. Um, you know, hopefully we'll find something nice, but you know, with, with sheep, if you don't know where they are, it's hard to plan on. Mm -hmm. We're going to camp here. We're going to camp there. We're going to, you know, I'm just, we're just winging it really. Yeah. Yeah. I got a buddy who's been on a couple of sheep hunt hunts. He lives in Fairbanks. So it's just like, he's used to that different sort of, uh, hunting style. And he says, you know, one of the greatest assets you can have is just to be mobile. And if you do set up your one base camp, like he says the base camp is more for like a moose hunt. Um, obviously where you're floating, that's going to be a little different, but, uh, being able to be mobile is so important because you're going to be covering so many miles there and back rather than be able to make a move right now and be able to camp if need be rather than, Oh man, it, are we going to be able to make a move on this animal camp is all the way back here. So, uh, being mobile yep. is huge. What kind of tent do you have or shelter? I've got a, um, seek outside silex, I think is what it's called. I just, I just got it. I haven't, uh, haven't used it on a big hunt yet, but, um, it's just, a kind of like a modified TP. It uses two tracking poles, but it's not the long center ridge that the two poles kind of go right on either side of you around your waist area. And then, um, so it's, it's, it's fairly small, but with just me in there and, uh, my gear, it's plenty big and I, I have a stove jack with it. And then I've got my titanium stove. I, I think we'll be able to look at the weather and see if it's going to be wet if it's going to be wet, maybe I'll bring that stove, but I will most likely just leave it and, you know, just not bring it. But, um, then Nathan just has a tarp for his, like, it's like a five or six sided tarp that he can kind of pitch in a couple different orientations. You can do a stove with that one person seek outside tent. Yeah. So I, I set it up and I got, a, I had to get a different stove pipe because I had the, TP, the Red Cliff, which is a four-person TP, and, and the stovepipe is much taller. So I got a new stovepipe, and when I did the burn-in on the stovepipe, it was kind of a rainy, misty day, and it, that little shelter got pretty warm pretty quick. So 
I think if I were to string some little strings back and forth from my trekking poles and hang stuff on it, I think I could dry out and, you know, get warm up pretty quickly. If you can find dry firewood to burn, that's always the thing. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a whole, when, when I think of those seek outside tents, I got a buddy of mine has, um, is it the red cliff? I think maybe. Um, and it thing is so awesome and it's great. Uh, like spring bear when it's still kind of cool in the evenings, but just be able to dry out in those days where it's, you know, it's pretty dark for, for a long time, but man, yeah. so a, a really small lightweight one to be able to put a little stove in there and just have your little, Oh man, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It, it smushes down to the size of, you know, maybe, a. I don't know, two fists size kind of It's it's really small once you squish it all down and doesn't weigh too much. So I'll, I'll put it through the ringer on this, this hunt and see how it does. And, um, like I, I mentioned, we're going to do a, like basically a, a, a six day hunt on one side and then be able to move to another area and we'll have kind of a resupply of gear and, and resupply of food, um, back where we're going to start hiking. And, uh, I'll probably leave the stove there. And by the time we get back down to that spot at the end of that hunt, we'll, we'll probably need to regroup anyway. So having that stove there to be able to completely dry out, you know, reset, you know, maybe even take a weather day there, um, without having to back out of the area completely will be, uh, will be pretty nice. Yeah. Shoot. I've never heard of that, but, uh, it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're talking about a pretty light tent. You know, it's not like you're trying to go over there with some huge thing that, uh, there's always that temptation. We talk about being hardcore or not. There's the temptation. I think if you have a nice warm tent to just kind of stay there, but, uh, yeah, shoot, man, that's, uh, that sounds like the best of both worlds. You can uh, be minimalist. You can absolutely get after it, but, uh, you can also maximize your time up there by being able to warm up, dry out if, if possible. Yeah. And we're, you know, Late August, the last week of August and the first week of September could be really nice or could be starting to get pretty wintry up high, especially. So, you know, we kind of got to pack for whatever. And it's not like the one day deer hunt where you know exactly what the weather is going to be for the next day. It's Mm -hmm. you got to go and be prepared for whatever. And I think that the stove and the, the hot tent combo can kind of it might weigh a little more, but then you don't have to bring as much clothes to dry out or to change into, or, you know, it don't have as much of a backup. That stove is your backup. Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, doing a fly out uh, next month and it's going to be mid September, which I mean, it could be nice. I, I, it's not going to be hot by any means, but you know, nice being sunny and cool. You can, you know, have the puffy, have a, a rain jacket or an outer shell to keep the wind off. Um, but could also be raining, you know, six to eight inches. That interior weather can can str- swing so dramatically. Um, buddy of mine was out hunting a couple of years ago, and they got delayed on the fly out because there was six inches of snow, and then the rest of the hunt ended up being good. So that's, uh, I mean, it's always the wild card. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, weather weather can make or break it for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, what else you got uh, about the hunt? Whatever, what else are you uh, thinking about, pondering, uh, planning for, or things you want to share? Oh, well, I don't want to talk too much about the sheep hunt just yet, but um, 
and I, I don't know if, if it works out, I might not talk about it hardly at all. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> but, uh, um, but I, I think just, I've got, I'm looking at right now, I've got a little whiteboard of just like huge lists of stuff that I have done. I need to do, I need to pack, I need to bring, um, you know, stuff for the truck, stuff to wear, you know, when I'm back in town, stuff to travel with. It's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. When people do ask, obviously you've, you've been on sheep punch. Yeah. You hunted here in Southeast Alaska for deer. When people do reach out to you, how do you gauge how much you share? Because you want to be helpful, but you don't want to just tell everybody exactly where to go. You don't want to cork yourself. So how do you gauge, um, being helpful, um, versus providing too much detail? Hmm. Yeah. That, I think that's a person by person. I kind of gauge if if they're going to go there or or if they're capable of going there or maybe they are good friends with, or, you know, have a buddy that is a little more hardcore than them. I might be a little more vague Mm -hmm. because that could be, you know, eventually a direct competition. Um, But for the most part, I, I, you know, I'm not too, shy about sharing spots because the the main thing like for example you know, northern chichigoff island there's you know a dozen let's call it a dozen mountains that you could you know get to and hike around here but and like you said there's probably a buck on a nice buck on any of them um any given day of the season but the the real thing that you got to know is how to get up it because mm-hmm. um, there are some ways that if you just pick her out that might be terrible miserable totally miserable but if you pick the right way it might be really nice Mm -hmm. and if you pick the exact right way there might actually be a trail up it already and you know that's something i'm not going to give out is yeah (laughs) where the where the trail's at um unless i take that person and then you know it's kind of a unwritten rule that if someone takes you up a mountain and shows you the trail that you're not going to go back there with yeah. all your buddies later. Right. And, you know, take advantage of that, that knowledge that was shared with you. But, you know, also no one owns the mountains. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't get too bent out of shape. There's, there's some younger guys now that are hunting the mountains that I, that I would have liked to hunt earlier this season, but they, they know about the trails that I have up them and they know kind of where to go and they've just been going there. Yeah which is fine. There's other mountains. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing when people reach out who maybe even aren't even from around here and they ask about, you know, how to hunt things. Most of the time I find myself giving it the generic information that you could find by Googling. It's just, you know, the further away you are from roads, the better off you're looking for this Alpine area. You're looking for this, 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 and it's all just the generic stuff that's out there, but I don't think it hurts to be friendly and even though you're not giving any specifics, you're, you're not giving any like really rich details, at least you're helping out a fellow hunter feel confident about their program. And there are some people, I, I've had one guy reached out and he said, hey, here's my plan. He kind of treated it like, you know, you would if you were to call a biologist and say, hey, I'm thinking about going to this mountain on this date for this species. Am I in the ballpark? Like, is there a chance I'm going to be successful? So the guy said, yeah. "Hey, I'm I'm flying into the to in, into this lake. Um, you know, what do you think? I can think. Oh, okay. Well, you know that that's definitely a lake. You're you're hitting some of the some of the things you want to look at with regard to you're getting 
further away from town, you're, you're getting into the Alpine in this time of year. So you're checking all those good boxes. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, make sure you're safely ascending up there. Um, mornings and evenings are great, but also during the day finding, like we said, those shoots. So, um, I think when people reach out on those forums and say, Hey, where's a good place to caribou hunt? I think you're inviting a lot of ridicule, a lot of, you know, stay out. So I think if people were going to want to reach out, they have something planned and say, Hey, you know, am I, am I in the ballpark here? Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that being friendly, um, should include blowing up spots or, um, and there's also the, if you take a picture with a mountain in the background that someone can recognize, the person probably had to be there to recognize it. So you're not telling anybody anything that they don't already know. Um, but at the same time, it can be dangerous because if you show like a really spectacular buck, then you're going to, you're going to be giving some attention to an area that might not have that sort of attention, but just a regular old buck on a mountain that can kind of be recognized by someone who's been there. Um, I don't know if you can, if you should be necessarily, but it is a slippery slope, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I also am kind of fortunate that I can hunt through the season. So the vast majority of the pressure for deer around here happens the first weekend Mm -hmm. and maybe a little in the second weekend. And by the third or fourth weekends is still great Alpine. I mean, today would have been an awesome day to be up in the Alpine. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure no one was up there on the, oh, this whole Northern Chichigaf Island. It's just, you know, it's midweek. There's, you know, cruise ships in, people are busy. And, you know, if you want to dedicate a little bit of time later in the season, it doesn't matter if people have already gone up all the mountains is the deer have kind of refiltered and reshuffled and there'll be more deer up there. Yeah. I think, um, we, we've done pretty well August 15th or so kind of mid month for all the reasons that you just talked about. Things get reshuffled. You have the initial pressure, um, but you don't have everybody aiming for that first opening weekend. More people I think want to go opening weekend and let, let's do it here. Um, but then after that it ends up being, well, we'll take this weekend off and it doesn't, you know, coincide with anybody else's weekend. So a lot less traffic, things get reshuffled. And it's kind of nice too, when you can look at hard horned, um, deer, I, I much prefer, I, I like hu- hunting on the opener. I love being up there in early August. It's warm. The weather's usually pretty, you know, relatively stable, at least for the area, but man, hard horned bucks in late August, early September is, is awesome. And you get up there in those cooler evenings and all the colors are starting to change in September. It's a really cool experience too. Yeah. I think maybe one of the coolest hunts that I'd done, I think was September 10th or 12th, I think. And yeah, everything was out of velvet. I was actually surprised the other day uh, that I didn't see anything that was out of velvet. Everything still had velvet on, on the 18th. Hmm. Um, but you know, a couple more hot sunny days, it, it, you know, it could be dropping it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I get a little panicked because I don't have a deer yet. We went out, uh, wife and I got a a mountain goat. We're going to record that podcast. So there can be a little bit of panic. So I have to kind of calm myself down and think, Hey, hey, hey. you spent your opener with a good friend and your wife and it was kind of chaotic because he'd never hunted before and you had some chances, but the weather wasn't great. Then Mm -hmm. the weather got hot. Um, but it, you're going to be fine. Like there's still more time. You got, you got this coming weekend, you got a uh, three day weekend. I mean, it's not, 
you don't have to have that feeling of desperation like some people might have when they only have seven days to come up here and do it or, you know, otherwise they're eating the tag. You know, there's still a lot of time. There's still alpine season. And then, obviously, you have rut. I much prefer alpine season, but uh, there's still a long season. Just kind of calm down, run the program, and, and do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Patience. Yeah. So what else uh, What else you got for a closer here? I don't know. Uh, just, uh, man, it's good to be in good shape, that's for sure. <laughs> the, it, <laughs> the hike in the mountains this year, I've – you know, after I was done, I just went about the rest of the day and didn't feel like I needed to, you know, crash out or take a nap or do anything else. And the next day, no soreness. And yeah, that was, that's pretty nice. Definitely makes the alpine hunting a little more enjoyable when you don't have to recuperate for a day or two after. Yeah. That's so nice. It's staying in shape year round. So all it is, is just kind of ramping up your fitness rather than starting again in june or something like that i don't know how some of those guys can do it they're mentally their 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 fortitude is is very high because they've done it before so it's just a matter of getting their body to remember but yeah just being in shape going into it that way you're you're at full throttle and you're not you're not miserable that's way way yeah. better that way i i could always be in better shape and that's always the things like man if i could if i could be more comfortable with a 15 like if I could cruise, if I, if I could go in with everything, just be able to cruise, but you know, I'm like, ah, man, my pack feels a little bit heavy. You know, it's only 50 some pounds is obviously ready to prepare to pack out an entire deer too. But just being able yeah. to get up the mountain quicker, feel better. So when you drop camp, um, you know, you're, you're super fresh. I think there's always that I could be a little bit more in shape. I, I feel really good, but man, a little better would be just a little bit better. Yeah, have real quick. Have you weighed your packs like before you go up a mountain for like a day? Yeah, I, overnight. I never really did, but the last just for a frame of reference, I'm starting to see hey, it might be a good idea to get a, a frame of reference of where I'm at. So uh, usually between forty and fifty pounds, kind of depends on if I'm. You know, the spotting scope is obviously the big thing. Uh, same thing with the tripod. There are times when I'm just, I'm going as light, light and fast as possible. I got the tent, I got the food. It also depends on if I'm going up with my wife because we'll split, like I'll take the tent stuff and she'll take the cooking stuff. And so that, that makes it a lot uh, easier and lighter. Um, but there are uh-huh. times where I don't take spotting scope. I don't take tripod. It's just binos because, you know, you're going to be in an intimate sort of area. Uh, you don't really need that stuff. You're not sorting through. You're not counting points necessarily from a distance. You can do all that with binos. So uh, I'm usually 42 to, to 50. Okay. That's not that. That's yeah. That's on the high side for what I would have on a overnighter. But this, this last time I weighed it on the way down after I got back. Cause I was just, cons- we're interested. Cause I had the whole deer um, camping stuff and my stuff in my pack and it was 70, right, mm-hmm. up, just under 70 pounds. Um, so, and then I weighed the meat out separately, and it was, like, boned out 40 pounds of meat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, basically have distilled everything down to, like, 30 pounds. Yeah. Do you, get, basically. Do you include your rifle? I'm including rifle and I'm including water. Oh, no. So that's no rifle. That's, what, six pounds, basically. Mm-hmm. And then... That that was including a little bit of water, 
what I had left in the backpack at the end of the day, but I had drank most of the water on the way down. Cause I knew, all right, I probably drank about a liter and a half on the, on the hike down. So I started with two liters and I finished with not much. So yeah, yeah. It, you can always bring less and you can always bring more. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I included the, uh, the tarp just because it's been kind of rainy in the days that I've been up there. So mm-hmm. having the tarp in there has been nice. And then I include the water and then include the rifle. So it gets, and then, uh, binos, bino harness, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah. it's like the whole, the whole everything, but yeah, I, it, and that's, I, I try to bring a little bit more food and I, I try to kind of overpack a little bit on some of these hunts just so later on, if I have longer hunts, I'm, I'm more prepared. Um, mm-hmm. and I try to do that during some of the training stuff, just like bring three days worth of food and bringing, you know, every little thing that I can think of, uh, on my scouting trips in June, sometimes obviously to go as light as fast as possible, just bringing a little bit of food for the, for the day hike. But on some of those longer ones, let's get some miles in with what my pack is going to be, or maybe even a little bit more during the season. That way, you know, if I'm going up with my, with my kit for overnight, like I've done this before a couple of times, I've done heavier and I'm in really, really good shape. Um, but yeah, it's always, if, if you have your pack as light as possible and then you haven't done it with water or you haven't done it with, uh, um, you know, all your gear and your rifle, then all of a sudden it's like, oh man, those, those 10 extra pounds makes a, makes a big difference. Yeah. So for, uh, Edelin Island, when I did that hunt, my pack going up the mountain started at 85. Oh, so, <laughs> but that, that was, and I knew it was going to be miserable, but, um, that was bringing, uh, I had the, the, our sleeping shelter for four people and I had the stove and I had dry firewood mm. coming up the mountain with us. <laughs> so yeah. that was, uh, extreme. Um, but, and then probably my, my sheep hunt, I had a whole bunch of extra crap that I didn't that I won't need on this sheep hunt. Mm -hmm. So hopefully if I have my pack around 50 pounds for the sheep, that'll be, that'll be fine. There's guys that do it so much less, but they're trading creature comforts that I, I don't want to trade out for. Yeah. I think there's my buddy, Danny and I have talked about this. He's in the fitness industry. He's a weightlifter. He runs a lot. And I mean, he's just, he's in really, really good shape. And we talked about how, it was kind of tough for him because it was a different type of hiking, different, you know, when you add the brush mentally, it just changes things when your, your footing isn't good and you're using your stabilizers a whole lot more. So, mm-hmm. uh, he's in better shape than I am. He's stronger than I am, but you know, I had the advantage because I'm used to going through that brush. I'm used to the, the slick footing. So my feet don't wear out as, as fast, but also the idea that you don't have to do this unbroken. Like there's nothing that says that you have to hike up with your pack because it's not going to be as heavy as it is when you have an animal. You don't have to get up all the way to the mountain without taking a water break or taking a second to sit down and just, you know, gather yourself or vent some heat. And I think that patience is an important thing too, because you could run yourself ragged. You're just trying to fly up the mountain. Um, and then coming down with, uh, with an animal too, like you, it's good to take breaks, take a break, take, take an extra second to just, Oh man, got it done. You know, take your breath. It's not, it's not a race to get back there so you can go have a burger in town or do whatever. Um, and that's not a weakness. You know, that's not, again, going back to that whole in, in internal dialogue, you know, am I, am I being mentally weak if I need to take a break? No, man, that's part of the enjoyment, especially if you're out with people taking a break, having some water, chatting it up a little bit, keeping spirits high and enjoying the experience. Yeah. And 
you know, if you haul down and hustle down and are completely whooped at the end of it, you you're toast for the rest of the day. (laughs) So if you just go slow, take your time, take some rests, you know, take a couple breaks, stretch, maybe take your boots off and, you know, stretch your toes. And then when you get down to the bottom, you can still, you know, it'll take you longer to get to the bottom, but you're still functional the rest of the day. You're not completely wiped out. Yeah. Um, that's been my philosophy is go, go a little slower on the way up, go a little slower on the way down and be able to be a better hunter when you're up at the top. Cause you're not as exhausted and then be able to, you know, deal with everything and regroup for whatever you got planned next. Yeah. You know, at the bottom and not have to be just like, you know, comatose for a day. Yeah. It's the important thing of going in prepared too, is your body's more resilient and you can take a, you know, five minute break, but you're so much more refreshed than, you know, if you, if you haven't been training at all and you take a five minute break, but you're not at all refreshed, like your heart is still just bumping out, bumping out of your chest. So you get your, you get your heart rate down, you're nice and ready to go. You're replenished. You have a little bit of food and you're, you're back to high performing. Yeah. I've, uh, I've also hiked with this season hiked with people that are not as in shape or not as fast of hikers as I am. So I've been going <laughs> basically at, at their maximum pace, which is, you know, and pushing them cause we're trying to get up the mountain before it gets too hot or, you know, you can see that big buck and it's moving towards that Ridge. It's going, it's going to feed over and disappear. We got to hustle up to it, but you know, uh, so <laughs> I've been going as fast as they, they could go, but it's not, you know, for me, it's not pushing it as hard. So, you know, just kind of understanding that everyone's different too is, is a good thing because, you know, on the way down this last mountain, I wasn't pushing it hard at all. I hardly broke a sweat, even carrying everything down the mountain because I was going very at a very good pace that the other person could maintain the entire time too, without, Mm -hmm. without bonking, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to ha- hunt with the, the carbon copy of yourself, but someone who's at least comparable or complementary. When my wife and I hunt, you know, like we're we get up there, she can, you know, carry. Uh, when she was carrying uh, her portion of the goat out, it was sixty some pounds coming down the mountain. You know, we took some breaks, but yeah, I don't feel that my wife is tagging along on a hunt whatsoever. She's capable enough; we can go anywhere. Um, very similar and, you know, get after itness, which is, which is really cool. And then same thing with the other guys that I, uh, people I hunt with, it's, it's nice to have that. You don't have to be the exact same. I got a buddy who can go super fast and he could just destroy me if possible, but we have similar hunting styles. And so it's not a, I'm not holding him back by not wanting to run around the mountains. He's like, I got to calm down. I got to be patient here. So it's, it's, that's an important thing to have. Otherwise you end up, you know, with this. I know conflict that I want to go do this and we're, we're, we're missing out because of this and that can uh, make the hunt less enjoyable. Yeah. I think that's, you know, another learned hunting skills, learning about how to hunt with other people that are not the same as you. Yeah. So just patience, yeah. time, patience. That's the key, man. Patience. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for, for being on here, man. I was, uh, I was good to talk to you. I know we, uh, spent a lot of time chatting on, uh, on the old socials. Uh, so it's good to, to chat and catch up and, 
excited to uh, hear whatever you're willing to divulge after the sheep hunt. Uh, best of luck to you and have a good time. All right. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Talk to you again, hopefully soon. Yep. Take care.